summer air orders vagrant parts, dust and melancholy. Hello, this is Hilary Robertson. Welcome to this latest episode of Harmonious World. And I'm delighted to be joined this time by Lara Solnicki, Canadian composer, singer and poet. She has a new cinematic vocal project out now. It's called The One and the Other. It's described as a collection of tone poems. There is certainly something cinematic and poetic about this collection. So the music and the poetry and all the texts are written by Lara herself. Jonathan Goldsmith produces and performs on keyboards and electric bass and electric guitar. Lara is undoubtedly a world-class jazz singer, but she's so much more than that. And I am really looking forward to this conversation. Lara is actually a classically trained singer and originally intended to go into opera. She has something immensely creative, especially in this new album. Jonathan Goldsmith described these tracks as each song is a miniature movie. And I think that conjures something that of, of the cinematic quality of each song. Well, I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. Welcome to Harmonious World. Thank you. So the whole point of my podcast is it's based on the um, a quote from Quincy Jones about what a harmonious world it would be if we all share what we're good at. Yeah, right. So <laughs> that's where I'm coming from. Your latest album. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's, a, that's something to be proud of, the one and the other. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting because I've been rereading the story Jekyll and Hyde. Oh, wow. Okay. Which, Great. you know, it's all about good and evil. And, and it strikes me that everything about this album is about opposites and balances yes. and... You know, is that where is that where you were coming from? Yeah, exactly. So um, it kind of the original uh, idea behind the record. I was actually in a relationship with someone at a point and we were uh, t- talking about uh, Martin Buber, you know, uh, I and thou. And and, it, you know, without sort of I just kind of took it in as my own, I guess you might say. And I, that relationship ended up feeling like a period where we were so close. We were kind of, uh, you know, the collapse of ego boundaries and we were basically a unit. I mean, you know, looking back, it's always a bit different, but, and, and then, you know, and then there was a sense of feeling very separate from that person when it all ended and like, do I even really know this person? And there was a sense of like, did I really experience what I experienced? Did they experience what they experienced? You know, what are we both going to take away from this? So it made me, it was a weird experience because I'd never experienced anything that felt so, um, you know, like the, like falling in love in such an intense way, basically. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of poetry that came out of that experience and the, the feeling of being sort of severed from another person. It felt like a very cold, abrupt thing. And it created a lot of existential questioning in my mind. 
about, you know, even just the nature of experience and, you know, the sense of like, do we experience what we think we're experiencing with someone else? Do we ever really know? And memory on its own too, is a complicated thing because what we remember is not necessarily how things were. And then how we experience things are not necessarily how they were. And then what is anything in this life except for uh, subjective experience? So that's what basically prompted this record. So I had a lot of poetry that I'd written. And so when I, I decided, you know, that I wanted to put my poetry at the center of my music for the first time, because they'd always been pretty separate. You know, I had my interest in writing. I was really into Sylvia Plath and then, you know, a lot of Baudelaire, who I was also came in through the Debussy singing that I did in my undergrad and all that. So there was there was a mix going on in my life between poetry and music, but not really not not in jazz. Let's just say that, you know, jazz is not really the songs are not based on poems in the same way as classical music, where the composers would take these set poems. Sometimes they would actually not take the most famous poem. You know, if you look at Strauss or something, but they would take a poem that they felt could maybe benefit by music, whereas some poetry was sort of already perfect. Why would you touch it? Right. Right. So it's so, you know, it was I decided like, OK, so music and poetry, like taking this poetry that is already about the sense of unity and, you know, uh, severing that and all that stuff. And there's, there's already a, a tension going on. There's a polarity here. And then this is actually what I'm working on, even in music is the notion of like, how far can how can I keep the intention of the poem and how and my poems? not somebody else's poems, but the type of poetry that I like that tends to be very dense. And the people that I read that tend to be these sort of little, small, minimalist sculptures that mean a lot. So um, so that was, that was really what provoked the record. And then I didn't want to write too many lyrics. So I, I didn't want to, I did some adapting of the poems for sure. And for sure, when I look back, like I could definitely open up my notebook and see, why didn't I take this line? Why did this line get this? So there is stuff that happens to accommodate music, but I, I didn't want to do too much of that. So, so that's how this album emerged. So there's a lot of tension going on in the one and the other. That's exactly what it is. So it's the oneness, the otherness of that individual, right? Yeah. The oneness and the otherness of the poem and music. Sometimes they seem to work well together. Sometimes they seem to be at odds with each other. And, that, and then I used those ideas to create composition techniques, to inspire the writing of the music too. So it was a pretty fun process. I can imagine. I, I heard somebody, and I can't remember who it was, recently talking about the word jazz and the, the sort of the constraints that one puts on music as soon as you try and put it in a genre. You know, where do you put this? It's sort of, I mean, obviously there's a lot of jazz there. There's a lot of improvising. There's a lot yeah. of creativity, but it's not only jazz. It's interesting because, yeah, there's like, uh, the way I see it is there are kind of, there's a, there's actually quite a bit of audience potential with this record in a weird way because there are people in, you know, jazz fans that will really like it, you know, avant-garde jazz and free improvisation and stuff there are people in poetry that are that are very interested in it people in classical music they also get it on a certain sense because 
because in some ways it's more uh, in line with the philosophy of classical music. It's an art song. It's basically an album of art songs. So it's in some ways it's closer to classical music, although then it doesn't sound like classical music, really. You know? Yeah. So, <laughs> so you're completely right. It's it's hard to um, to put it in a to put it in a category. And then and then because there's electronics in some of the songs too, that already alienates it from jazz and purists who want to capture things in the moment. They think maybe it's too produced. There's overlap, and then there are things that are kind of potentially in conflict for a lot of the, for listeners. Yeah, and um, I I looked at your video on YouTube that's sort of kind of explaining where this all came from. And, and, and you said there something about, you know, come to it with an open mind. I like the idea of just focusing on being myself and the best version of myself that I can be. Um, you know, it's a really challenging profession being a, being a musician and then being a singer has challenges on top of that. And, you know, we don't have to get into them. And then, you know, there's a lot of administration in this career. It's a huge amount of admin and, um, you know, just dealing with the music business, which is kind of erratic, you know, and unfortunately it's, it's, there's an unpredictability in this industry that we all know. So the question is, you know, how do you make it work for you? So at a certain point, I think the beauty of this profession, like I wanted to be an opera singer. I was in university to do that. And I felt a lot of stress in that environment, um, you know, the whole auditioning and the sort of being somebody else, you know, having to, you know, like a cattle call for sopranos, sit life, that kind of thing where it's, um, I found it a little, you know, challenging. So then moving into jazz, it's not like you're completely free to do whatever you want. As you say yourself, there are a lot of strict things around jazz. Um, does something swing? Uh, does a improvisation have a jazz vocabulary to it? There's lots of stuff, um, you know, around jazz. And a lot of people are going through the universities now, of course, as you know. So people are getting taught to listen to the same thing and to sort of emulate certain things. And people are developing tastes at the same time as they're developing their technique. So I'm coming from this from another point. I've studied a lot of jazz now. I've worked with a lot of people on my jazz improvising and my jazz singing independently. I've sought out the people that I want to work with. So I didn't have like a load of stuff coming on me, you know. Um, I did in classical music, of course, uh, classical music history and all the everything theory blah 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 but um so you know like in some ways I don't have all that baggage I'm just being myself and I'm bringing the things that interest me which in my training which is classical music and then poetry which is something not related to my musical training and now and then jazz and then I put it all together and I guess this is you know where it goes basically yeah. <laughs> it feels very collaborative with um, Jonathan Goldsmith. That's very interesting. Is this the first time you've worked with him? Yeah, it is. But, um, you know, we had certain things in common that were interesting. Um, I was introduced to him by Rob Pilch, who's, a, a you know, the guitarist on the record, who, who I'd known for, you know, 10 years or so. We just did a lot of jazz gigs just here and there, like the did a New Year's gig once and... So we did like the duo jazz straight ahead thing, basically. Um, but, you know, they'd worked together in a lot of different environments. They did session work together 
to have a band together. Um, and, you know, they've worked on, they work on lots of different projects together. So, but Jonathan also, so I sent these songs to Rob and they were interesting. I changed, I sent him the, a demo I'd made of the three part cycle. I changed the second one a lot since I sent him the demo, but, and it was like interesting. And Rob who's done so many different styles of music and he's amazing in all of them. He was like, wow, okay, this is interesting. And so he, he kind of introduced me to Jonathan who happened to work in film. So then there was a coincidence there where he had actually written the music for two of my father's films but that we found that out later. Wow. So there's, there are some kind of unconscious workings happening. Just the fact that he works with narrative and film, um, you know, when he writes music for narratives and this and that, and he's allowed to be creative and do whatever he wants, I guess. I mean, I'm sure they give him, depends on the project, but so then I, I sort of, in some ways, this, my work was already kind of a little bit, you know, had these narratives going on because also, of my poetry and growing up around film production and and my mom's uh, a poet and English teacher. So I kind of was just being myself and focusing on the things that interest me and, you know, all the, the things that I think about that have nothing to do with music. And then he's used to bringing in these elements through film too. So I think that's what people, what you're picking up on is um, these non-musical sensibilities that show up in this album. Because it does feel very cinematic. Yeah, there's something visual about this record. It's it's really visual. And I think that the reason that is actually is the poetry that I write and that interests me is very image-based. So I do kind of see things. Um, I For some reason, I'm quite a visual person, even though in music, you know, music and poetry are not by definition, you know, visual arts or something. But the type of poetry that I like tends to be very visual uh, based on images. So that's, I think, um, and then it's not terribly linear because it's, you know, based on a lot of 20th century aesthetics and 21st, I guess now. So it's not like romantic poetry or something because the people that I also am interested in rebelled against that, like T.S. Eliot and all these people, romantic poetry and the lyric phrase is kind of, it's not dead, but it's kind of dead at the same time, if you know what I mean. So I'm not going to write this lyrical poetry about birds and bees and flowers and all that, that people made a strong revolt against. I mean, what's the point of that? It's not, it's not really relevant. That's my feeling about it. So that could be also what you're sensing is that these imaginative leaps, like we call them, that comes in a way from the surrealists and poetry, you know, like um, André Breton and some of these guys that were trying to um, you know, it's a bit like improvised music. They were trying to chart the, the, the thought process, the imaginative process. So obviously I'm not, you know, writing poetry on the spot. It, I don't know if anyone can ultimately even do that. Like improvised poetry is to a point, I suppose. But, um, but I do try to stay open to ideas that are nonlinear. So it's, there's, a re, there's a relationship with that type of French poetry. And I, I think you might be picking that up with the French film thing kind of in a non, you know, direct way. Like it's yeah. a second cousin maybe, you know? Yeah. And of course you're Canadian. So, so you're kind of, you know, you've got that link to the French language, um, uh -huh. you know, uh, but also it's interesting that you've referenced T.S. <laughs> Eliot, Sylvia Plath, 
you know, some of our, you know, English Mm -hmm. poets who are very difficult to define where they sit and and that's the excitement of their poetry that that they're not um you know it's not it's not Wordsworth and Coleridge that you can just put into that romantic Mm -hmm. yeah talk to me about the the one and the other the the three-part song cycle uh well this was kind of the main focus when I, I started writing this music uh so that was kind of the center in a way. It, and so the, for some reason, the first thing that happened was like the art pop chorus that happens at the end of uh, Pass the Glass and All of the Sea. So in a way, it's funny because it's in a way, it's like it's stuck on like a tag or something like a coda. But and, but it was the center of the whole thing when I wrote it. It started with that. So, uh, so that's um, something to kind of, remember it just this is something rhapsodic like sort of like a rhapsody about it um and from there it unravels backwards i think the writing of it kind of in a way it unraveled backwards so i created the art pop chorus obviously i wanted to change it up a bit between the first and the second tune but the message is kind of the theme where you have the sense of in the lyrics there or those are actually lyrics. I would not call them poetry because that's what I wanted. I wanted to have something that was like very in those pieces, the first two anyway, I wanted it to be really based on the poetry and then to end for some reason where usually we go from somewhere light to somewhere deeper in a narrative, you know, you go more deeply into a story for some reason, you know, I wanted to explore the different layers and to play with them because that's something unexpected too. So it goes from being more deep into the story to kind of ending up on a light level, you know, um, in terms of the poetry being lyrics or the sense of there's a predictability to the chorus. It's, it's a, it's like a pop art, pop chorus. So by doing that, by moving from something more deep to more, something more light at the end, it creates a message that maybe the story there's an irony. Maybe it's not as important as I thought. Maybe the love affair wasn't that important in the end. And that it's also because there's a lot of repetitive images. So the sense of the, um, you know, it's like from the symbolist movement or the decadent movement where you have the repetition of images that become your own metaphors, basically. So they take on more meaning. The more you see them, they take on the context of it. They bring all the all the I don't want to say baggage but they bring the um the loaded scenarios where they were presented earlier into the end so the moth for example was like a flickering moth guides the, the size of the necropolis so that's clearly the ending They're, it's predicting the ending of a relationship but it's like a silver moth it's something like a silver screen it's almost like a movie right black and white movie and then it's a very it's a bit dark um, so there's some different emotions embedded in that. And then at the end, you know, just sort of catch a silver moth on your sleeve. Like it's sort of buzzing around you. It's moving around and it's becomes part of the tapestry of the, uh, the environment. And there's, there's something about the being in love and, and how fantastic that is. And yet how the heartbreak is so bad, you know, you can't yeah. have the highs <laughs> without having the lows and the other way around. Exactly. And there's also something in there about, alcohol and about yes. the way alcohol is brings such pleasure 
but it also brings such pain. One of the things that I've been fascinated by is the number of musicians who have been heavy drinkers who then go teetotal and that there's a tension again between you know the the greatness of love and the and the 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 Mm -hmm. depths of it and also with alcohol and and you know the fun you can have and how much how great it is to have a have a wow a fabulous time but then there's a fine line where it becomes um yeah (laughs) (laughs) a love hangover (laughs) diana ross um, yeah, the alcohol was, was interesting just because, uh, the person that I was involved with was a heavy drinker. And so, and then, you know, the whole period, uh, like us being together and f- sort of was feeling like, uh, you know, the feeling of, so it became symbolic too. So it's like the sense of being drunk on being in love with someone, you know, that feeling when you're so high, <laughs> Cause you, you know, you're so excited about a relationship and you basically, they're all around you all the time. It's very, they get, you know, into your blood, so to speak. So there's something about being drunk on the love of somebody else, but then there's the irony that happens where he's more in love with the idea of being in love than the actual relationship. So his, he's kind of drunk on his own love. And then he's becomes basically like a uh, narcissist, narcissist looking at himself, you know, at the end of it, it becomes basically like a narcissistic meltdown for himself. And so that's kind of the alcohol is a bit there too. There's the the vodka, the clarity of the alcohol, crystal bound breath, the bottle of alcohol. His idea becomes like the bottle of alcohol that he keeps so close to him. His, His ideas about what the relationship is supposed to be versus the nuts and bolts of the of the day-to-day you might say right yeah 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 this is one of the those albums that you don't just put on and listen to you you know let it watch over you you have to kind of listen because every time you play a different track you hear something new that's great yeah that's that was the point of it uh particularly with the piece like the poetry recited piece uh furling leaf retro seat uh, because that that piece, um, the tension was created because the instruments were given symbolic roles. And then, you know, it, it's like a guided improvisation. So they have, were given metaphors, like the rhythm section was given the sound of basically the spinning of the laundromat, you know, and it also sounds like a train. Um, and then I would tell people to do things in sex. So they were this, where they would do that was a kind of a section where you would not expect it. So that created more of the tension. Um, and then the piano and the electric, uh, the electroacoustic clarinet are more expansive and they're closer to light and they have more of an impressionistic quality like Ravel or something. (laughs) So yeah, so that's the thing is that it just depends, like the, because of the poetry, it means has a lot of different layers of meaning, and then when you when you put it, then the this what's happening musically becomes almost like another layer of metaphor, and there's dialogues that are going on, and then we created a Dolby Atmos uh, mix of it too, so there's actually a lot going on um, with the Dolby Atmos mix. It's like called 3D music, so it's actually a film uh, mix. So, you know, if you hear the Dolby Atmos, there sometimes there are the voices moving in circles. Sometimes like there's actually literally if you stand over there, you're going to have another experience than standing over there. And if you take in the poetry over there, it's going to be different than taking in the poetry 
over there. So it's almost like a 3D sound sculpture at that point. Which goes back to what you said at the beginning uh, about your perception of things isn't always, you know, there isn't always a, tr a truth, a single truth about anything. Yeah. If you, you know, if yeah. you ask people about one event that everybody was at, they will all have experience. <laughs> like a COVID lockdown for a year. Oh right? yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, it's totally it and so um who knows what's going on inside the head of another person honestly right when I was at university I studied with a another a, a blind musician oh wow and I had loads of intense deep conversations with her about the perception and the the connections that you make to music that, mm -hmm. that are to do with fragrance and sight and color and other sounds and you know just brilliant stuff that's really interesting um yeah like i guess people who are blind or they lose one sense other things get sharpened so um yeah it would be really fascinating to to try to get in their world i guess Sounds must be extraordinarily vivid and alive. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Um, so talk to me about your lockdown. How has it been? Well, it's been pretty boring. I mean, um, you know, in the I'd say in the beginning, I was pretty anxious and stressed out. I actually, there were times that I was actually sitting at, in my apartment and I felt like the walls were starting to get smaller. So there's a lot of claustrophobia and it, I remember everyone saying, oh, my gosh, is this going to go through to the fall? I can't imagine, you know, and here we are, you know, a year later. And we're actually I'm in Toronto right now. And Toronto just just they just announced we're going into another hardcore lockdown starting. tomorrow. So um, I'm happy to be launching this record now. I'm, I'm really glad that I've had, a you know, like a, a rock solid focus. I was nervous about, you know, launching it over COVID because it's. It's a challenging time in so many ways, um, but it's been good to, it's been really a relief to have it out there because it's been ready to go for two years. It was supposed to be launched last summer, but then I, you know, with, when COVID hit, um, I just delayed it. And then it took a year to find, to find the label that I wanted to be part of. I had about eight offers. And um, so you know, it's been it's been a lot of work, more than I expected. Um, so it's been good to have this focus. Like I actually have a lot of writing projects that I'm supposed to be working on. I have grants for them, um, but it is a hard time to, to be creatively inspired. There's no question. It's okay for practicing, um, but I had a period where I was writing poetry and it was going great, but then it's. I just sort of became less inspired. I, I think what happened was in the summertime, you know, the weather was, was fantastic in Toronto. We had like the best summer in, you know, that I can remember for weather, not much rain and just constantly like, I don't know, probably around 82 degrees or something all the time. And um, just gorgeous. So, you know, life started feeling reasonably normal for a period there. You could actually go out and you could spend time with friends and then come back. And then you have something to write about because you need you need stimulation, to be honest, to be creative. Um, that's a, that's sort of a problem with COVID. There's just no there's not much stimulation. Yeah. 
And I think we all miss the real interaction. I mean, it's great to be able to talk to you like this, but yes. it's so much better to do it face to face. And and that's just impossible at the moment. Yeah, I mean, Zoom is better than at the beginning. I found Zoom super awkward, but now I'm finding it, you know, a little more natural. Well, I think we've just got yeah. used to it, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> I often get asked if I use the video. Mm -hmm. and I always say, no, I don't use the video. I just use the audio. But talking face to face like this is so much better than just yeah. doing it over the phone, for instance. Yeah, I think there's more natural, uh, spontaneous things that can happen. And they happen all the time in conversation in real life, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. So, as you say, your Toronto is just going into another lockdown. Do you have plans? I mean, have you been able to think about touring and, you know, live work and that sort of thing? Uh, well, you know, I've just kind of taken a be patient, uh, you know, day by day, week by week approach. I had a lot actually that I was supposed to be doing last year. I mean, um, I'm not the only one, but I was supposed to, you know, launch this record in July, start a campaign in April, go to the Jazz Ahead conference in uh, Germany and then go to Berlin, do some networking there uh, for future residencies and stuff like that, because um, I'm interested in, you know, kind of multimedia being in, a, in an environment that promotes um, collaboration with different people. I'm already kind of moving in a bit of a multimedia direction with the poetry. It's it's already moving out of pure music for its own sake, that's for sure. Um, although sometimes I'm interested in that too, but um, so then I was supposed to go to New York in the summer um, and have a, and commute to Boston to have a residency with Rand Blake and Dominique Ede in, you know, in Boston, go there for a couple of days a week. And there was just a lot of stuff to do. Um, so all those and I, yeah, I was supposed to be back in New York. Like I have a work visa. So I was I've been back and forth a lot since 2017. I was supposed to go back last winter and then you know COVID happened and that city was really dramatic yeah <laughs> especially then so so I don't really know I mean everything has just changed everything's just up in the air um I don't see that there's a lot of point in making solid plans right now it's more just a question of you know I do I know that I have to I have to complete a couple of uh pretty um major writing grants and I have a couple of recording grants for them too. So it would be good to get those rolling, but it's been hard to think about something new fully when I have this, this album <laughs> that was just not out yet. So now it's about, you know, the campaigns happening, the reviews, all great interviews. And, and it's more like, you know, how do I now move to the next project and try to clear my head? Because there's nothing in this room that is going to signal a change. <laughs> I'm going to have to, you know, clear the, you know, the mental space some other way than sitting in this room. It just doesn't work. So go for a walk, do some writing, maybe by Lake Ontario when the weather's better. Just try to start something new, like the beginning of, you know, just change the channel to, to a new project. It's, very hard to do right now for everybody, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think 
you know, I started this podcast in June and I think we all right. thought then it would be six months that by, by Christmas, you know, things would be better. And it's, you know, here we are in April again. And yeah, you know, there are still, you know, France has gone back into lockdown. Um, you know, all the schools are shut and, you know, it's just scary, scary stuff that's going on for so long. And I think uh, you to try and be creative while all of that's going on in the, un, you know, under, underneath is, is it's supremely difficult. And I think the stuff that's coming out where people are being creative, you know, albeit this was recorded, you know, a couple of years ago, nevertheless, it feels like there is lots of stuff that is coming out that is, that is mm -hmm. creative. And, and that then leads other people, you know, because there will be somebody who listens to your album who goes, Oh, okay. That, is interesting. I wonder if I could do something with, you know, my poetry or, uh, and I, it feels like there are hints of that creativity still going on and we've just got to kind of focus in on them. I think things are going to be different than they were before. You know, they say life will never be the same. So we're not sure how and in what way. I mean, I think I'm a little freaked out about, you know, the jazz gigs that I used to enjoy a lot and that were really fun and didn't have any prep work, even just the standards gigs that I, you know, have been doing since 2010. And I had a lot of restaurant residencies and stuff that were this fun and they just kept you performing every week and all that. I don't know what's going to happen there because not only has the music business uh, suffered, the, the venues have been suffering a lot too. So these restaurants it's going to be, you know, maybe it will be a good time to to start up some fresh new ideas for sure. I mean, there's always like untapped opportunities. You know, I say um, you just have to think outside of the box. Yes. So I'm open to thinking outside of the box. Um, I'm not going to, you know, beat my head against the wall and work towards things that just feel next to impossible. Like it may be that things get more project oriented. Like it's not like people perform less, but they do more like bigger production type things like CD releases or going on tour in more substantial way through series. So I'm trying to be flexible and not lose energy um, in negative ways and trying to be like pragmatic and realistic. I'm not going to invest in things that are, don't seem like they're going to give back to me, give me back for my energy and my time. I've done that, sure. And I think musicians, they have a, there is a bit of a sense of self-sacrifice in the, in all the arts and stuff that somehow the more you sacrifice of yourself and get, you know, and the more painful it is, the more payoff it'll be eventually. And it's not always true. So I, I think I'm just realizing that too. Yeah. So I'm just having a wait and see approach. That's, I think that's all any of us can do. I think as soon as you start trying to make plans, yeah. things will be thrown up in the air anyways. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. I, I appreciate your interest in, in the album and uh, what's behind it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. It was very interesting talking to Lara about the album and everything that went into it. I began with an extract from Awe of the Sea, which is the second movement of The One and the Other. And I'm going to finish with a clip from The Embrace. Thank you for joining me once more on Harmonious World. Please do subscribe and leave a review and connect with me on social media. All of the links are in the show notes. Thanks for joining me once more. Fair.
Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Harmonious World. My name is Hilary Seabrook and it's a great delight to bring this series of discussions with musicians and composers and writers and all sorts of people to you. Obviously, there's no point in having a podcast if people aren't listening and I'm very grateful to my listeners for doing so. Thanks also to Joe English for composing and performing this new theme tune. So wherever you get your podcast, you can leave a review. You can share this with your friends and family, either as a link or on social media and that sort of thing. I'd be really grateful for that. Don't forget that you can subscribe now. There's a link wherever you get your podcasts. So have a great week and please remember why I started this, which is just to try and make the world a little more harmonious. Thanks for listening to Harmonious World. <laughs>